Jesus, we honor you in this place today. We exalt and lift high your name, your name that is above every other name. Our, our desire, our prayer, God, is that you would receive glory. Lord, through the, 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 the heart of worship that we bring, through the attitudes of our heart, the, the mindsets that we come with, uh, even just the reality of the way that we live and respond in obedience to you, God, would you receive the, the worship that you deserve in and through our lives? God, you are so good. You are so gracious to us. You're so patient with us. Your love endures and has pursued us even to this place this morning. And we just want to receive from you all that you have for us, God. And we want to respond with hearts of faith. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. And once again, welcome to church. So glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. My name is Travis, the lead pastor at Antioch. And as Andy shared, we are transitioning from a, from a sermon series um, out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, into our new sermon series. And I just want to give us a little bit of a, a transition that we felt like God was even highlighting this morning uh, about that. Uh, Psalm 24 talks about, uh, this, this gives us this question, who, who may ascend the, he, the hill of the Lord? Who may go up into his holy place? And uh, it, the response is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to, to an idol. Uh, it, it's, it's this one that God will vindicate. It's this one that may enter in, into his, his presence. And, uh, and a, a lot of the, the, the latter part, especially of Ephesians chapter four, we looked at some of those ideas of consecration, of bringing to God a, a, a pure heart, uh, of giving, bringing to God a, a, a blameless spirit, uh, staying away from uh, uh, unwholesome talk and uh, the, the uh, kind of frivolous nature of the, of the flesh and the desires of the world and all those kinds of things. Because Ephesians 4, we're talking a lot about the church and how we corporately as the church operate as well as how we individually are, are to operate as a member of the body of Christ. And so we've just been looking at that. God, let us be a people who desire what you desire. Let us be a people in, in our own character, reflect uh, who you are and your, your character, your nature, and, and really a, a, a soberness to that that, that uh, that's, uh, brings a level of consecration. God, we want to be who you've called us to be. We want to be like you. And so there's that kind of idea in Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, at the end of Psalm 24, it goes into this, this part about opening up the gates that the king of glory may come in. Open, open up the doors that he may enter in, this king of glory and re reveal himself. And it's really that consecration. It's the one who ascends the hill of the Lord that has the opportunity to then see the glory of the Lord revealed. And so we're moving into a, out of Ephesians chapter four into a study on Revelation chapter five, where there's an aspect of the glory of the Lord to be revealed, uh, that we might see him. And so we want to stay 
in the place of, of consecration of saying, God, we just want to be uh, who you've called us to be. We want to be like you. We don't want to run after the things of this world. We want to run after you. We want you to be honored and glorified in our lives. And there, there's a way that we want to live that out before you that we might see the king of glory. And so what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is, is seeing the glory of God, seeing the, the plans of God revealed and, and, and looking forward to those things. By, by nature, I, I'm a person that loves to look forward to things. That's kind of my, my personality type, to, to look forward to the next adventure, to the next exciting thing that we get to do. In fact, the, the, the drawback of my personality type, they say often that, that the person doesn't even enjoy the, the event itself because they're already worried about what's going to happen next and what they can look forward to next. I'm not quite that bad, but certainly like on the way home, I'm thinking, okay, we got a plan for what's next, you know? I need, a, I need my next plane ticket. I need my next like goal set or whatever that's going to be happening. Uh, that's just kind of how I'm wired. Like December 26th as a kid, worst day ever. Like it, I've, I've been looking forward to Christmas for so long and now it's gone. It's over. It's past. What am I going to look forward to? Uh, that's why it was always good to have a spring birthday to kind of lift yourself up a little bit. But, but the... Uh, but the idea was that uh, there's, there's an anticipation around something. I've kind of passed that down to my kids. Uh, they've all gone through these phases, but my younger three right now, every single night, and without fail, ask me, what are we doing tomorrow? What's going on tomorrow? I'm like, well, you got school. Yeah, yeah, but, but what else? Like, what are we doing? What are we, what are we gonna do? Well, we're probably gonna eat breakfast and then, you know, have a lunch and snack. No, like, what do we get to do? What are we gonna participate in? And so I'm trying to field these questions. I'm like, we just had a really fun, full day today. Can we enjoy that? No, but yeah, that was awesome. But what's about tomorrow? What are we gonna do? And, uh, you know, we can have a, a week full of like, we got life group, had friends over for dinner, then we celebrated a birthday party and then we're going to bed that night. Like, when are we having people over again? When are we gonna, I'm like, what? And maybe never, like we're, <laughs> we're tired. Uh, and, but it's this anticipation of what's coming next. And, and I think there's an aspect of the book of Revelation that God's wanting to, to, to um, bring up and bring out in us of greater anticipation of the things that are to come. And now there's a certain weightiness that comes with it, a, a certain sober reality that comes with this, this revelation of God. But there ought to be in the life of a believer the anticipation of the Lord Jesus returning. And that's not always something that we carry around in the day to day. In fact, uh, my great grandmother, who I didn't get to know very well, but she did live to 101. So she, uh, she passed away when I was in high school. And the thing that I always remember about her, uh, what people always talk about her is how she every morning would go out onto her front porch and uh, to watch the sunrise. And she would just say, t t maybe today is the day that the Lord would come back. Today, God, won't you come back? And, and for me as a kid growing up, I'm like, that, that's kind of weird. I don't know if I want him to come back yet. Like, I, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. Like, I'm having fun. Like, uh, and, but she had this anticipation that we don't always carry because we're busy with what we're doing today. Or there are something uh, that we're looking forward to uh, uh, on this earth that we're not recognizing pales pales, pales in comparison to, to the eternal glory that we will experience in his presence, that there is nothing greater that we could anticipate or look forward to than, than eternity with Jesus. 
him coming back and setting things right. And the more that we, uh, get, we there, there's a certain amount of grieving in the, the, the lostness and the evil in, in the world today that causes, it ought to cause our hearts to long for his return to long for his return. I believe that God's wanting to stir some of those things up as we go through this study, uh, particularly of Revelation 5. Uh, but today, we're actually not even touching Revelation 5. So, you know, it's, I don't know if it's fair to call it just a study in Revelation 5. We're going to be spending a few weeks there. But, uh, but as we have in, the, in the, the last chapter studies, we've spent a, a good amount of the first week of the study kind of getting an, an overview of the, the, the book of the Bible. Bible in which the chapter lies. And, and sometimes, depending on the book, it takes a little more time to, to kind of wrap our mind around what's going on in the context of the, 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 the chapter that we're going to be focusing in on. And, uh, and today, it just seemed with the nature of Revelation, the book of Revelation, that, uh, that we needed to spend the entirety of today just talking about the context uh, of Revelation and some of the purpose and, and what, what John is going to be beginning to do. And even throughout the course, of our study of Revelation 5, we're going to be looking at some different aspects of the book of Revelation, uh, kind of from beginning to end with, with John 5 just being our focus. But today, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to, to kind of move pretty quickly through uh, this first chapter, and I believe it's going to help set us up for, for the remainder of our study. And it begins uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, saying this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, and it, 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 who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And so it begins by describing what it is that, that is being written. First of all, it says this, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. The, the actual Greek word there is, is apocalypso. And so this is actually more directly translated the, the apocalypse. In, in some, some old versions of the Bible, they call it that. Instead of revelation, they call it a cop, the, the apocalypse. Now, it's a little different uh, to, to us than what it would have meant to the reader of that day. You may think apocalypse. Did I see a movie about that when I was like in my late teens or something? Like the meteors crashing and whatever. That might be the 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 when, the when the readers of Revelation would have seen the word apocalypso, they would have thought of a, a genre of writing. Uh, in which there were other books of the Bible, uh, Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, as well as other Jewish literature that would have been written in this, this form. And it, so it would have denoted for them that, that this is going to be some type of a vision that is being recorded that's going to bring a certain amount of, of, of symbolism that helps to illuminate uh, the plans and purposes of God uh, for, for the world and even to speak about uh, what God is going to do in the end to bring all of history into conclusion. And so there's a certain anticipation uh, for, for what is going to come next because of the, the very first verse of this book. And so there, there are different 
um, people that will take the, 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 the words of revelation uh, in different ways, from, from literal to more metaphorical. But wherever we might find ourselves on, on that spectrum, there is no doubt that God is commuting, communicating something to the readers of this book that is to carry great weight about the, the final outcome of, of history in, in light of the purposes and plans of God. And so by very nature, there is a weight and a soberness to the reality of the picture that God paints. And, and so we, we want to receive from that to, to the degree that it changes how we think about today, how, how we live this very moment. And, and, I, and I believe that God wants to reveal some things in, in those ways. He also calls this a prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So it will also find its, its genre in the, the school of the Old Testament prophets, that there will be elements of, of this, this book that you, you can relate back to the, the Old Testament prophets that were uh, the, those that heard from God the, the word of the Lord that was to be delivered to the people of the Lord. And, and so this is a, a prophecy that is given and one that is highly regarded. Ver, verse three is, is really telling for us and, and important for us to hear in light of the study that, that we're going to be doing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. So there is a, a, a kind of a challenge here for us within the text to really take to heart what is written in it. And this prophecy, this, this revelation is, is not meant to remain uh, this, this kind of mysterious, kind of weighty thing that we, we don't want to, to get into too much or too often, but rather it is a, a mystery, yes, in its very, uh, very literary nature, and yet it is one that is to be discovered. One of the things that we will find through our study is that there, there are many things in the book of Revelation that is relating back. To, to the pr prophetic from the Old Testament, things that the Lord had declared back through, through the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, it will relate back to some of the things that Jesus himself spoke uh, during his life and ministry. And, and it's, it's a, a great opportunity to, to really tie together uh, those things into the final outcomes uh, that, are, that are in God's heart and that, that are his plans and purposes. So we're gonna be doing a little bit of that even today. And not only is it uh, a prophecy and a, and a revelation, but it's also a letter. So it's kind of a combination, an, an epistle. It takes some of the form of the epistles of the New Testament, which were just simply letters written to the churches. In, in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse four, it says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you uh, from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So uh, as it is true to the, the form of, of many of the New Testament letters, the, the author introduces himself as John. Uh, most of church history um, would, would uh, agree that this was the apostle John, though that is not conclusive. There are others that think that it might've been some kind of itinerant prophet that would have been known by the churches. Uh, so 
as to receive this letter. Uh, but for our, our purposes, we're going to go with uh, the thought that it's the, the, uh, the Apostle John, though that won't have much effect on our study. But he introduces himself and says that this is to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And the number seven is going to become a, a very well-known number through the book of Revelation, uh, and it carries a specific meaning, and that's the, the meaning of completeness, uh, of wholeness, of perfection. It comes from the, the earliest days of Genesis uh, in the seven days that God took to create the world and, and said that it was good, that it was perfect, and that it was Complete, And so while there are actually seven historic churches that are receiving these letters that are going through uh, real, having real issues and receiving real encouragement based on their life, it's, it's also um, a, a letter for all of us. And that's somewhat denoted in the idea of there being these seven churches and that this letter, this prophecy is for the entirety of the church or the wholeness of the church. And so there is much that we have to receive um, from this revelation. He greets them uh, with a, with a uh, traditional Trinitarian type greeting where he says, you know, I, I write to you grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. So, so I'm writing on behalf of God the Father. I, I'm writing on behalf of next, he says, and, and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. So again, we see this, this number seven uh, declaring a, a completeness or a perfection of the spirit of God. And so as you, as you do study on this, they would say that this is uh, not literal seven spirits, but, the, but the, the Holy Spirit in his perfection and completion, also denoting the spirit alive in each of the seven Churches, And so we have, again, this, this reference to the Trinity of God who was and is and is to come, the perfect spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness as he was here on the earth, the firstborn from the dead, the one who conquered the grave and overcame, and the ruler who now sits enthroned uh, above the kings of the earth, who is the king of kings. And so you see this progression. And I want us to feel this. There, there is something, there's something building here uh, throughout this first chapter of Revelation. John has just seen an incredible vision and he's beginning to, he's writing this introduction to these things and he's giving, you know, this is what this is. It's a, it's a revelation, it's a prophecy. Blessed is the one who hears it and, and takes to heart what's written in it. And then he's in this letter form, I'm writing to these, these particular people, um, that, but I'm writing to the, the church and, and I'm, he's saying, and it's from God. What, what I'm, the, I'm, uh, it's, from, it's from God. It's from his perfect spirit, uh, from Jesus. And there's just something building here. And, and he goes into a, another um, kind of more normal thing for a, a letter, an epistle. And that's a, a sort of doxology where it's just giving praise to, to God. And so again, he's building, building here to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Sometimes you would find those doxologies more at the end of a letter. He's like, hey, let's, we're going there now. 
We're just going there now to think about him who is deserving of all glory and power and honor. And then he's thinking back on all that Jesus has done, that, that he is the one who has loved us. He is the one that has freed us from, from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests. So we're looking back and we're saying, praise God for all that he has done. And then all of a sudden he turns us about face to the future and in verse seven says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. So we do this about face as he turns our attention, not uh, to what has happened, but to what is coming. Don't you see, look, he is coming with the clouds. Now this is a, a direct reference back to, uh, to the book of, of Daniel chapter seven. And uh, I, I wanna read verse 13. It says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So this is, this is a word that's been, been spoken, uh, that's been believed, a prophetic utterance uh, from before the time of Jesus that the, the Son of Man would come on the clouds of heaven. Jesus picked up that language during his life. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Paul, in his writing to the churches, and, and, uh, specifically in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. One of the things that God uh, wants to bring to our full attention is the fact that he is coming. He will return. And there is a reality that we need to embrace on a more regular uh, time frame than what we normally do because of the, the urgency that we hear in scripture, that he is coming. Not only is he coming, but it says that all people on earth will, will mourn because of him. Zechariah 12.10 says it this way, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, again, this prophetic word before the time of Jesus, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, 30, then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There's a certain mourning 
that comes with the return. The, there is a, a mourning of those who, who specifically have not believed, have not trusted in and decided to follow Jesus as Lord when he returns, that he will come with great mourning. But make no mistake, he will come. And while uh, here, John is referencing back to, to even some of the uh, apocalyptic type of uh, literature from the Old Testament. He then begins to, to uh, continues to build by declaring what the Lord is now saying in verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. One of our places of, of response today will just be, God, won't you take me into a more sober reality of who you are? And it doesn't take away from the, the, the loving Savior. It doesn't take away from friendship with Jesus. But it adds to the dimension of his character, which is more multifaceted than we could ever know. And that is the weight of his glory that he is the, the almighty, the one who always has been, who is fully present right now and who always will be. And recognizing his presence, the, the gravity of his nearness in our midst. And so he declares this continuing to build not only on the, the, the prophetic of days of old, not only in, in the the. the calling us to, to worship through the doxology, but declaring what it is that God is speaking to the church. And he's to do that in a, in a particular way. We're gonna read on and find that out in verse nine. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so he gets this instruction and, um, and we, we find a little more about the, the John who was writing this. He's exiled He's exiled for, for a reason, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And, and so we have here a, a, a man to whom Jesus was so very real and so precious that proclaiming the word of God and proclaiming the testimony of Jesus was worth suffering exile for his namesake. For, uh, for obedience unto the proclamation of this word and of this testimony. And so he writes and he is, he is drawing the brothers and companions together, those who, who are suffering, who are believing for the kingdom, who are, there's a patient endurance waiting for Jesus. He's calling the church to come together around the vision that Jesus is, is, is giving him. And he's instructed to write down on a scroll what you see. That, that's a, a little bit of a difficult thing to do. It's, it's a little easier to write down on a scroll what you hear, 
right? What, what you hear, and then I can write those things. And there's some of that in the book of Revelation, but, but a lot of what he is writing down is that which he has seen. And so there is an invitation for us today to see what it is that John saw th through his words. And, and so I, I actually want to take a moment here to just pray for us that our eyes would be open. We've kind of titled this series, Revelation 5, Living with the End in Sight. That, that there would be a, a way that we see uh, that would dictate how we live. That, that we would live with the end in our view. And so, God, I just pray, just right now, even as we just continue and, and as you prepare our hearts for all that you're wanting to teach us through your word, that it wouldn't just be learning, it wouldn't be information or even just wisdom, but it would be our ability to see you for who you really are. And God, we give you permission to, to take off blinders maybe that we've even put on ourselves in that we, we wanted to, to receive an aspect of who you are, but are uncomfortable with other aspects of who you are. We were comfortable with certain aspects of, of how you challenge us to worship, but uncomfortable with others. Uh, and, and Lord, I pray that our worship would actually derive its, its fullness from the way that we fully see you. That we would worship in truth because we truly see who you are. And it causes our worship to be expressed with greater and, and greater meaning, exuberance, and life. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he says in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And so as he turned, he saw first, he saw seven golden lampstands. We're told later down in verse 20 that those seven golden lampstands uh, uh, represent the seven churches that we spoke of earlier. And among these seven churches that represent the church, we see the son, he sees the son of man. He sees someone among the, the churches that, that, that appeared like the son of man. And, and, I, and I, wanna, I wanna say this uh, about, about the son of man, that, that, that feels like a title that's describing his earthly nature, and it is. He's a son of man. He came to this earth as, as a son of, 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 uh, of, of, that looked like us. He came in, in, his, in the flesh. And we also wanna denote, not only was it the beauty and the power 
and the love that was demonstrated in him coming and putting on flesh, but the Son of Man had a much broader uh, 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 meaning than that. I want to I refer us back to, to Daniel chapter 7 and, and read verse 13 again and then go a couple of chapters further. It says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days, God, the creator of all things. He approached the ancient of days, was led into his presence. And this son of man, he was given authority. He was given glory. He was given sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language bowed down and worshiped him. He was given dominion and that dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. He was given a kingdom and that kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The son of man walks among us. There's a a reality that we need to, 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 to put together that this son of man, the one in whom holds all authority, all sovereign power, whose dominion knows no end, who is the king of a kingdom that can never be destroyed. This Jesus walks among us here in this place. We want to step into the reality of his presence, the son of man whose robe reached down to his feet. This phrase isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it almost always refers to the high priest who wears the robe going down to his feet. Jesus is the final high priest, the one who has made a way for us to go to God, the one who has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And he wears a golden sash around his chest, denoting his royalty, denoting the the, the high nature of his his priesthood. This golden sash that denotes who he is, walking in with hair as white as wool like snow. Proverbs 16.31 says, a white head is a crown of glory. And there is a maturity and a wisdom in the person of Jesus that is a crown of glory upon his head. And at the same time, there is a zeal and passion that burns like fire in his eyes. He is not tired. He is not weary, but there is an energy of youthfulness. You have, if you can imagine, a bridegroom who is both burning with zeal and passion for his new bride, but walks into the relationship uh, with the maturity and wisdom of one who has been married for, for many, many years and experienced much life. And he walks among us. And, and his feet, they, they, are, they are like bronze, burning, glowing in a furnace. And it speaks of the firmness and the reality of his kingdom that will not pass away. His voice is like a, the sound of rushing waters. The, speaking of his authority 
and speaking of the life that only his words bring. Out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword because he comes as a righteous judge. He is, he is a, a king and judge and he will judge the world with righteousness. And he walks into the room and as he does, his face is brilliant. The only thing that the words that John can describe it with is it shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. Like Paul witnessed on the road to Emmaus, literally blinded by the light of the glory of Jesus who revealed himself to him on that road. And so, we gather here today and the one who stands among us holds all dominion and authority. The one who stands among us is the great high priest through whose sacrifice all, through whose sacrifice all our sins are forgiven. The one who stands among us today is filled with wisdom an experience accompanied with passion and zeal. He stands among us with a resoluteness and firmness that endures through all generation. He stands among us with all authority and righteous judgment. He stands among us in brilliant light that is both blinding and yet causes us to see. It had such an impact on John that though John knew him, walked with him, was known as the beloved of Jesus. His only response in verse 17 was this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That ought to give us a little perspective on what John is trying to get us to see. That it caused him, a man who knew Jesus, to fall on his face as though dead. And yet we see the consistency of the nature and the character of Jesus as he walked on this earth, as he came and the first thing he did is he placed his hand on John. He says, John, it's me. He placed his hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and I am the living one. I was dead, but look. See, see me now, I am alive forever and ever. Death no more has any authority over me. Look, I hold the keys of death in Hades. I, I hold them. The fulfillment of Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus too, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and bring freedom to those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do not be afraid. Look, I hold the keys of, of death and hell and I am alive forevermore, forevermore. And so we finish with this. He is coming. Verse seven, he's coming on the clouds and every eye will see. It will be unmistakable. He will return. 
He is coming, and He is coming in glory. He is coming in glory, so much so that John falls on his face as though dead when seeing Jesus in His resurrected glory. He is coming, and He is coming in glory, and He is coming soon. The whole book of Revelation begins, I'm giving this revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants what must soon take place. And in verse three, he says, take to heart what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. There there is a, a right expectation there is, there is a, a right way to believe and to anticipate the nearness and the coming of Christ. That though this was written in 90 AD and here we are in 2023 and they were saying it was near and it was coming soon. Now, first of all, the, the, the soonness and nearness of time is relative in light of eternity. But secondly, there is a way of receiving this prophecy. And that is to live today as though it were the last, because it very well may be, because the word of God tells us this day, it is upon us, it is coming soon, it is near, and so we must take these things to heart. It is a way of living and understanding in allowing eternity, living with the end in sight and letting that impact the way we live today. And so we're praying that God would open our eyes to see that we might live today with the end in full sight. God, would you, would you make a shift in our hearts today? In fact, why don't you just go ahead and stand up with me um, as I pray. Second Timothy 4.8 says, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then he says, And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Lord Jesus, let us be of those who long for your appearing who do not get caught up with the frivolous nature of this world and the things that we can see and taste and touch. But Lord, let us live for that which is eternal, that's which we cannot see with our own eyes. But Lord, rather give us spiritual eyes to see and open even our physical eyes to see what you're doing all around us that we might live in the day-to-day with the end in plain sight. With the sober reality that you are coming and the way that we live matters. And the way that we give away uh, who you are, that we preach the word and give testimony of Jesus is worth it because you are worthy. You are the worthy one and you are coming back in all of your glory, which we cannot even imagine. 
And I just want to go ahead and do this and just say the, the front is open because I think there's people in the room that just need to come and get on their face before God. You can do that in the front. You can go to the side or the back, wherever you need to do it, but just to get on your knees, to get on your face and say, God, I, 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 you're either you're being impacted or you're coming down and you're just saying, I want to see you in that way. God, would you reveal yourself to me in that way? And so the front is just open for, for us to respond, just getting on our face before God. Also, our ministry team is going to be up here in the front. If you need prayer for anything, it may seem like a small thing. It may be a very big thing. It could be relational, financial. It could be physical needs. We believe that God is a healer. We would invite you and, and really encourage you to come and receive prayer. Let somebody get in your boat and pray with you. There may be others in this room that are hearing about, about Jesus and there's something that's stirring in your heart and saying, I wanna know him. I don't know him. And if that's you and you'd like to learn more today about how you can know Jesus and how you can learn about what he's done for you and the hope and the life that are found in knowing this Jesus who loves you and is pursuing you, we'd ask you to come forward today. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you about having relationship with Jesus. But let not one of us leave this place without responding to God in the way that he's initiating with us.